Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Hi, folks, and welcome to Zompocalypse Now. I'm Timothy Harvey. I'm Dustin Adair. I swear I haven't been recast. <laughs> the same guy I've always been. Now with a very strange accent. What are you talking about, Timothy? Uh, folks, we would like to apologize about last week's episode, which there wasn't one. Technical issues just uh, got in the way, and, and I'm sorry about that. We tried to reschedule... And just life didn't cooperate, so we're sorry. Um, we will make up for it this week. Short version last week, kind of a set the world, set, set the stage kind of episode that was okay. I think actually having waited a little bit and let it sort of fester, and unfortunately the word fester is working there because there are a lot of problems with last week's episode that just became more and more apparent the more I sort of let it percolate. The more you thought about it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's certainly not the weakest Walking Dead episode. And it certainly is, you know, for, for setting up the world that we're in in the 18-month time jump. You know, it, it does set up the world. But right. what we talked about in the ver- podcast you couldn't hear, one of the things that really bugged me was that they're all having conversations that they should have had much, much earlier. Right. The more I thought about it, the more it just sat there. I was like, okay, when we record this again, I'm just going to have to sit there and go, this is really bothering me. <laughs> the thing, like I said, like there should already be a provisional council yeah. that sits around and is like, uh, you know, makes those decisions and like knows what the penalty for attempted murder is or murder. Yeah. This should have happened like six months ago. If we're talking 18 months. Oh, yeah. But it sets up the world and and they actually touch on things that have been bugging us from the beginning, like expiring gasoline and and actually planning for a future as opposed to always just reacting to things happening to them and all these things. Um, so it kind of set the stage. And then this week kind of set the stage. Right. Well, you know, they're building their... I, Here's the problem. I feel like, you know how we talk about Hand of the Writer all the time. Right. And it's so, like, so obvious. I can feel the Hand of the Writer in we got to gear up for the Rick's last six episodes. And we've got to, you know, show what Maggie, where's Maggie going? What she's. You know, is she going to die? Is she going to leave the show? How's that going to happen? So they're 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 setting up those kind of things in a way you know that's super. Uh, I'm super obvious in my mind. Every time we see Rick dealing with people around him, it all it's got this weight to it, and it's like this this kind of. These are important because we only have so much time. Right. And none of the characters are saying that, but every it, it's shot that way. And it's, I mean, we got this really dramatic uh, fight the walker scene. And Rick was like whirling dervish of badass. 
Uh-huh. And it was cool. I mean, it was a great sequence. I mean, it was really neat, and it was a, a very effective use of logs. Some of that is just on the viewer. I mean, we're just, right. you know, it, it's not necessarily that it's shot with, you know, Rick looking all Jesus-like and, you know, the light behind him or anything like that. I mean, it's not, you know... But it's kind of setting, you know, we because we know it's leaving, all this stuff seems to take on a certain weight that I don't think necessarily benefits the story. It feels like we're very, we're, we're going into very special episode territory mm. really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually thought tonight was a very solid episode. I think it, it established a certain amount of character development that was that was good and solid and there was good action scenes and it it, it advanced uh relationships with the characters in certain ways that i think was was well done um but there's there's all this stuff we know is coming so it does feel kind of like a we're, we're still moving the pieces into place for what's yeah. happening absolutely and you know but i think that they're starting to like starting to like show where some of these some of these things are heading which i think is better considering where we were last year where we nobody knew anything and everything was terrible and dogs and cats living together well it's still dogs and cats living together except dogs and cats get along a lot better despite the fact again a year and a half have has passed and nobody has sat there and had the come to jesus moment with the saviors, where they right. basically looked at them and went, okay, you guys understand how this works, right? <laughs> I think at this point, the, the the issue shouldn't be we're having to support the saviors. We, we're starting to realize what an untenable, tenable place the sanctuary is, and, you know, that that people are constantly having to give them food and stuff. The, the question, what the conflict should have been is, no one wants to live at the sanctuary yeah. anymore. We keep having to try and force people. We're having to force people to stay at the sanctuary because it's been a year and a half and everybody wants to move to Alexandria or to the hilltop or to Oceanside or to the kingdom where it is better living conditions than a shitty factory. Right. That should be, like, people keep wanting to abandon the sanctuary, and we need the sanctuary because that's where we're processing our ethanol, and that's where our smelting happens for our bullets. And, you know, so we need to figure out how to make the sanctuary work in a way that works. That's the the conflict they should be having, not we're forcing the people who live in the sanctuary, you know, the people who live in the sanctuary don't want to give up the sanctuary, and it's really, you know, you know, it's just, yeah, there you go. That's it. That's, that's it. That's what should have been. I feel to some degree that we're we're uh, with these two episodes with not in not in in every case but in in the broader strokes we're looking at a manufactured conflict here because these are things that I mean yes there's no there was no reason for people a year and a half ago to trust anyone at the sanctuary right but it's been a year and a half what has happened in that year and a half to make it possible to trust them or to know you can never trust them? It's just, I mean, it, it, feel, it feels like it's part of the story, but it's not a critical part that should be there 
And again, it's like it's like the person having a the two people having a conversation as they before they get in the car and they stop, and then we see them clearly hours later in the car on their way to grandma's, picking up the same conversation where they left off. Yeah, exactly. I actually like this one a lot. I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool, and I thought that uh, that the that the the conflict was interesting, and the way that they handled it was good. Um, so yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised tonight. Well, for those of you who who follow along in the comic book and know that how the the larger beats of the television show tend to hit in a similar way to the comic. Not necessarily exactly the same, because a lot of the characters have changed. Some of the characters who are dead in the comics are alive on the show, and vice versa. But we knew this season coming in that the Whisperers were going to be the main uh, antagonists of, of the show. Right. And consequently, there are certain things that are probably going to happen um, that are... We at least have a template in the comic to look forward to. So as the episode opens, we see Rick talking to someone. And of course, knowing this uh, existing sort of template from the comics, it's pretty clear that he's talking to Negan. So spoiler alert for the last few minutes of the episode where Negan actually appears. But Rick, Rick comes in and starts talking about the day he's been having. And what's going on in the outer world. And the way he's phrasing things, it's like he's talking to someone who would not be able to see these things or experiencing them himself. And so there's a limited number of characters that this would involve anyway. So, you know, he's either talking to the ghost of Carl or he's talking to Negan. Right. And it is, it's obviously Negan. So we can just jump jump to the end and Negan's all like, you know, what doing his stupid like, you're not saving the world, you're just keeping it more for me. That whole bullshit thing that he does. And the thing that irritates me, he does this thing that irritates me again, which is the whole like, you're not building anything for anyone, your whole family is dead. You know, Carl died and you know, I keep forgetting you have a daughter, you know. <laughs> I know. I saw that when, when he said that. I was like, Rick, Rick, you, you have a daughter, remember? You, you have it. Yeah. You, you you, you. Even though she doesn't appear at all in this episode. But yeah, so you know, it, it's just more of, you know, that Negan thing that I find so endearing. Oh, is it endearing? No, I find it incredibly irritating. So they're building the bridge. Yes. And they've been, we had another little time jump here. A month. And so they have been building this bridge, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, they're almost done. And, and Ezekiel has, has Carol's new adopted son, <laughs> her, most, her most recent uh, soon-to-be-sacrificed child. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm so. I'm like, oh god, this is going to end in tears. Oh my gosh! I said that to my mom tonight. So we're all watching, right? And it's me and my mom and the kids and my sister. I live with everyone in the world now, and uh, and I'm telling her, I'm like, Carol used to be like the I tell just basically back to where Carol. Carol used to be a sad sack and like abused, and you know, slowly over the course of the show, like. 
she keeps like connecting with somebody and then they die and just makes her tougher and she's just such a badass and I just love her and and like when Ezekiel gives her the ring, mom goes, So that means like he's dead, right? It's like, oh yeah, immediately. He's not gonna make it. <laughs> I know. Oh god. That whole scene. So there's a scene at the end of the episode, and I know we're jumping around, but there's a scene at the end of the episode where, where Rick sees this community that he has he has helped build. And there are these happy little moments where people are talking to each other and playing and 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 there's this emotional connection. Savers are sitting down with Kingdom and Kingdom is talking to Oceanside and everybody's having a great little time and you know And Carol looks at Ezekiel and says do you still have that ring? Because last episode he asked her to marry him and she said, what are you doing? Are you a crazy person? And so tonight she says... Put that away before the writers see it. <laughs> and so tonight she's like, do you still have that ring? And he's like, uh, maybe. And he gets right here. I love his whole like, but I wrote a speech. <laughs> he wants to get down on his knees and she's like, don't you dare. <laughs> And he's like, I wrote a speech. And she's like, I'm sure you did. <laughs> you could read it to me later. <laughs> and she puts he puts the ring on her finger, and I was like, oh, God, one of them is dead. Please don't let it be Carol. I like Ezekiel and all. You know, Ezekiel's an awesome guy, but... Well, if I remember correctly from the comics, and again, I kind of stopped reading around um, the end, like the... The, like right when Alexander was first attacked by walkers uh, and, and the girl that Rick kind of liked got eaten and he had to cut her hand off and Carl got shot in the face. Right. That's kind of when I stopped reading the comic, except for like to go to the comic shop and pick up the most recent issue and flip, flip through it just to kind of keep abreast of what's happening. Right. And, but I mean, and I pay attention to the toys because I'm a toy guy and apparently this last wave of – well, maybe it wasn't the last, maybe a wave or two ago uh, of the action figures came – one of the accessories that one of the characters came with was Ezekiel's severed head on a spike. Oh, well, there you go. So, you know, and that was part of the Whisperer's situation was the head on the spike. I'm not not, not so sure about this toy line. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> – it's special. Yeah, I guess. It's McFarland. Oh, McFarland well, there you go. Is awful. So, they're working on the bridge, and there's this one savior. Oh, yeah. And... This, dick, this huge dude. And, and he's he, a dick last episode. He's continuing to be a dick this episode. Yeah, and he's, he's one of those character actors you've seen a lot of stuff, and he's got one of those really... He's got a face designed for playing a jerk. Right. So he's this awful, awful guy. He's one of the saviors, and he's just a jerk. And Carol's latest uh, uh, soon-to-be-dead child is taking water around to everybody. And he gives him a cup of water. That's not a, that's not a way to spread, you know, herpes and, and influenza. He's got a little tin cup, and everybody gets the tin cup, and they get the water, and they get a drink of the water, and he goes to the next person, and they get the tin cup. And, you know, so that's gross. I would have been like, thanks, but no. So this guy takes his cup of water, and then he wants more. And the kid's like, uh, no, you get one. And he's like, I get what I want. And he takes, he knocks the kid down, and he takes the cooler, and starts tipping it back. 
And Daryl sees him, and Daryl's like, this moron again? No, because first, little little Timmy gets up with his staff, and he's like, no, that's not how things work here. And he, like, jams in his legs and knocks him over. and That was kind of awesome. Thing, and that was really cool. So he was basically like, oh, I can't believe I have to do it. The way he did it was very like, I can't believe I have to do this again. Like, got up and got his stick and was like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah. And then he goes after the kid, and that's when Daryl goes after him. Right. And, you know, this is another one of those moments, like, where it's obvious, like, why you would want Daryl to become the the focus of this show. This is an example of why you don't want that. Because cause we've had nine years of Daryl being the hothead and the kick-ass warrior with, you know, an emotional problem. And, you know, this is, this is not the guy you want to be our lead character. You know, we want Carol to be our lead character. We want Michonne to be our lead character. We want Maggie to be our lead character. When you're building a new world, when you're looking for people who need to be the government, when you're building a, when you're building a society, you need to have a governing board. You need to have a government. You need to have a council, whatever you're calling it. Daryl Daryl is the guy you send out to fight the walkers. Daryl, yeah. he's the guy you send out to, to to man the barricades. He's not the guy you sit there and say, "Please help us write laws." Right. You know, he's and and where Rick is always going to be a policeman. Daryl is never going to be a policeman. Exactly. And so that's I'm just I'm just that's what this makes me so curious as to how they're going to how they're going to switch this, switch this around, what they're going to do for Rick. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that whole thing happened. And then, uh, and then because of course they did, they put that same idiot in charge of Walker. Anything, anything at all. <laughs> yeah. I know. And so, yeah, because they're one of the other things is, is Rosita and this blonde lady, who uh, they are from the Saviors, they're now doing demolition on some a quarry. They're like making, I don't know, doing a thing, blowing something up. So they need to divert the walkers away because they'll be drawn to the explosion and then uh, and then that would be bad. So I think the impression I got was that they were using it to basically cause a barricade against the walkers or I yeah. can't remember. I was I was half I was half paying attention to that whole like discussion that they were having. I really did like the uh, the conversation that Rosita had with her. She's like, they're talking about, oh, are we too far? Are we close? Are we too, are we far enough away? Is, is you know, are we gonna explode? And Rosita's like, just can't you just trust me? And and the the girl is like, is there anything that I can do to make you trust me? Or, 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 how, or how long is it going to be until you trust me or something like that? And Rosita's like, well, you did cut up my face. <laughs> but, you know. And yet they're working together. Yeah, but they're working together and they're working really well. And I also noticed that, like, the blonde who who turned in Dwight was in with a girl from Oceanside, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. You know, so there, there are, there's already been some cross pollination, and we know that scruffy blonde droopy eyes, he's living up, he's living it up at the hilltop. Back at hilltop, uh, Maggie is looking over what she has wrought, 
And Michonne shows up, and she's like, So, um, look, things are going well at the bridge, more or less, but we need some more food, and um, we understand that the supply of ethanol we shipped to you from uh, the sanctuary didn't get here. And Lauren's like, yeah, so you can't have any more food because we didn't get the thing we were trading for the food. And nobody can find these people who set out to take this shipment of ethanol. They've all just disappeared. And this seems to be a recurring thing is that there apparently have been quite a few members of the sanctuary, the former saviors, who have disappeared over the last yeah, year and a half. Vanished. Um, nobody, they don't know, they're not sure if they just wandered off or escaped or have been killed. No one knows. They're just gone. They don't know what's going on. And But then Droopy Eyes goes to Rick and he says, uh, he says that at least three of the saviors who have vanished had family. Mm-hmm. And one of them had a little child that was living at the sanctuary, and he wouldn't have just abandoned the little child. Right. And so that was very interesting. You know, so that's very interesting. Of course, they're they're being scooped up by by whisperers. Right. But, of course, our, our characters don't know that. So Maggie's like, well, you know, you can't have what you asked for because we didn't get what we asked for. And... That's just the way it is. And Michonne's like, well, okay, I get that. But you realize we're talking about communities here and working together. And Maggie's like, yeah, but you know, I told you what the what the deal was. And Michonne is still a little upset about, you know, Gregory being uh, executed. Yeah. Although, again... Why? Why? I can't believe she, you know... I mean, for, for all the fact that Michonne is wanting to build this compact, build this... this uh, this yeah. council and, and she's running around handing out copies of the Federalist Papers. Maggie's actions last week in executing Gregory for attempted murder right. is a for basically Maggie has taken on the role of many many leaders in history who have acted as the judge for their community. And however you feel about this, this historically is an accepted role for the leader of a community. Right. And in this world that they live in now, the reaction, and I said this last week, the reaction that that Michonne and Rick had to Gregory's execution, even this, even you know, even taking away the the small children who were inexplicably there that Michonne was upset about as well, their reaction was so to me out of place for the world they live in. And not only that, like like Maggie said it tonight, she was like, Gregory, we gave him chance after chance after chance, and he ruined every single one. He was constantly trying to undermine and, and backbite and backstab. This was not like this this was not, you know, just killing some dude. This was excising a tumor. Right. In, in my mind, like, this is not, you know, I'm killing my political rival. This is, I have, if I do not, we don't take care of this guy, he's going to cause problems, and it's not going to be good. Again, we're coming back to a manufactured conflict, unfortunately for me, because Maggie, for all the fact that Maggie is meant to come off as the hard ass here, as the unreasonable one, 
Um, although they're not really doing that. I mean, she's she's kind of being put in that role without her being that character because that Maggie isn't that character, and so they, they can't really slot her into that role. So her arguments actually make sense. She's not just being obstinate. Um, so she actually is saying the situation warranted this, and right. you can't save everyone. Not everyone is redeemable. And this actually should not be an argument to be had. This is the thing. This is the thing we know. This is this has been the philosophy of the main characters of this show for the previous eight years. Right. Rick basically, when he exiles the big dude at the end of the episode, he's basically, you know, sentencing him to death. I'm not entirely sure if the show realizes that they are putting, they're they're casting Maggie in a reasonable role, and expecting everyone else to act as if she's being unreasonable, and not understanding why that doesn't work. Right. The guy who tried to kill Maggie last week, he's the blacksmith for the Hilltop, uh, and Brett Butler plays his wife, and she has come to Maggie, and or she's come to. to to Jesus and said, I want to see my husband. Why won't they let me see my husband? And Jesus is like, Maggie says no. And she's like, I really want to see him. And having had this conversation with Michonne, she, Maggie relents and lets him go down, or lets her go down and talk to her husband. He says something that I think is important here. Um, he says, you know, she's, his wife says, I forgive you for what you've done. And he goes, I don't need your forgiveness. You're not the one I need to forgive me. And he's really talking about two people there. He's talking about Maggie, and he's talking about himself. Right. And one of those, he gets to a degree. Because Maggie goes down after uh, later in the episode, and she talks to him, and she says, tell me about the drinking. And he talks about his life before the zombie apocalypse, and his struggles with his alcoholism. And the way that it damaged his life. And how he didn't see... He didn't see his son being born because he was drunk. That he cannot actually remember the first time he saw his son. The, the, the boy who, who died last week. Yeah. The, the plot point who died last week. Right. Um, and... No one, still no one has, has, uh, has mentioned that he probably volunteered for that mission where he died. He wasn't conscripted. They didn't. Maggie didn't burst into their house and be like, "You, adorable teen, come with us because we need grunts you, and we need somebody to be expendable." She, you know, nobody's mentioned that. Which, you know, I well, because if they mention that, then then they'll have to mention the fact that he died the way he did because the writers wrote a script because his death was so ridiculously dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the it was the death that only occurs because someone wrote it that way. Right. In the real world, nobody dies like that. <laughs> the situation that would have developed to get him killed would not have happened in the real world. Anyway, right. um, hand of the writer, we talk about this. So Maggie talks to him about this, and he tells tells her basically who he is, and and what and his his the pain of his life. And, and the fact that he, he put all that behind him 
And then Gregory basically preyed on his weakness and his pain. And because Gregory's a monster, was a monster. And so Maggie decides that she's going to let him out. Well, here's, but here's, here's something that I really like. I like that they put this little part in because, because he asks her, he's like, why did you, why did you execute Gregory and you didn't kill, you didn't kill me? Gregory put the knife in my hand, but the feelings of wanting to hurt you were there. Like he didn't say that, but it's like all those feelings were in me. Like he couldn't have made me do it, you know? Right. And she goes, "Well, do you think I made a mistake?" And he says, "No." So I really like that they're they're allowing that complicatedness to still exist. That you know, yeah, yes, Gregory got him drunk. Yes, Gregory gave him the knife. But there was a part of him that wanted to kill Matt for what happened. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, every now and again, what this show, so often what this show does is it gets human character moments where people act like real people. It gets it wrong. And every now and again, it gets it very, very right. Right, and I think that was, this, that was one of the very shining example of a good, good one for me. Well, and and in that scene, you had two really good actors mm-hmm. playing off each other. Um, there's something about uh, uh, Lauren Cohen's face when she's listening. There's an attentiveness to her that she really brings across in scenes like this, where she is, it's. I don't know if it's the right term, but I think it's called active listening, where you can tell that person's engaged, mm-hmm. and and that's really what you see here in this in these moments uh, between these two, where she really is, she's she's not just hearing the words she's he's saying, she's hearing the things he's not saying, right. And, and like you said, that's always been a strength. That's a strength of her acting, mm-hmm. you know. And he's just one of those fantastic actors who's been around forever. Uh, and has played just about every kind of authority figure and villain, and I mean he's just one of those one of those you know you you put him in a role and he'll he'll do it. And so when you see him later in the episode working at the forge because she let him out, I, I if if they if they betray this moment later in the series. By making him an antagonist again, without justification, I'm going to be really unhappy. Right. Because this, that felt like an earned moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I feel like their arc is probably over. I think that those two. I think that those two characters are probably going to disappear from now on. But I can I could definitely see them popping up again and again throughout the rest of the season because he's a critical character to the show now. He's the blacksmith, and they have to repair things. Um, although, I do have to point out, um, I read a review, and I can't remember, it might have been f- the, the Forbes.com review. The guy wrote that basically it made no sense whatsoever to go to a museum to get a plow. Because you can, oh, go, yeah. you can go to a farm and get a plow. Right. And you could go to a hardware store and probably find, you know, like a John Deere outlet and get a plow. So going to the museum to get a plow 
is a visually cool sequence that makes no sense whatsoever. And he, too, for the review of the show last week that none of you got to hear, sorry again, we went on a bit of a rant about the glass floor. And I'm the, the, right. the Forbes review, reviewer was like, so about that glass floor? <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's not just us. Yeah. All right, cool. Anyway, um, so anyway, but he's the blacksmith and his role is important to that community. So I think we'll see him again over the course of the episode, the rest of the that, season. So that's basically what happens at the hilltop. Right. Although at the end, Maggie, like Maggie and Michonne are talking and Michonne's like, why did you, why did you decide to make this decision? Like how, you know, what brought you to this decision? And she's like, I just had to trust my instincts, but now we have to figure it out. <laughs> No, this is one of the things that we have that's going to have to be one of our new rules. Well, you know, they have to, yeah, because basically the question that came up is who makes the decision about who lives and who dies in, you know, in in terms of a community, not in on the battlefield, but right. if the actions, if somebody feels the actions of someone in a community warrants death, who makes that call? And Maggie looks at Michonne and says, that's what we have to figure out, isn't it? Right. And it's a very valid question because if you're going to build a world with laws, you're going to have to have judges. You're going to have to have a council of some kind that determines what these laws are and someone whose job it is to adjudicate. It's part of building a culture and building a society. And so, I mean, it's... For for all the fact that you know we don't want to have law and order, you know, Walking Dead law and order, um, at the same time, in terms of the reality of this world, that's actually a thing that kind of has to happen. Uh, meanwhile, back at the bridge, we've had this explosion, uh, and suddenly things are not going right because a signal didn't happen. And now, descending upon the bridge, and the people working on the bridge, are a fairly large herd of walkers. This guy, one of the one of the guys, uh, I, I presume he's from. I, I, I wasn't really sure, but I I got the impression he was from the sanctuary. Is up on top of right. this stack they're, of logs. They're, they're securing some logs. And oh wait, we have to skip. We have to go back. Okay, go back because. I I have to you know we have to go back. Uh, what's the name? The gay one. Adam. Daryl. Daryl is no Daryl. And he's talking to uh, the other gay one. What's his name? Aaron. Aaron. Thank you. And they're talking about. <laughs> so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Daryl is the gay one, and and Aaron is the other gay one. Is so that here's what, what happened. Here's what happened. Okay. So Aaron's telling the story about how he's taking care of that baby, and right. she's got a messy duty poops, and and it's all over the place, and and uh, and and Aaron's like, Daryl's like, oh, that's crazy, and he's like, oh, you'll see someday, and Daryl looks at him and says, you'll make a great father. Aaron says that, and and so then he kind of looks at him for a second, and then later Aaron and Daryl are down on the bottom, and they're securing the law. Right, mm-hmm. and then the walkers show up, and Daryl goes to like fight the walkers, and that one guy freaks out. 
the logs are secured, and a log falls on Aaron's arm and pins him down. Right. And so he's like, leave me, leave me. And, and But Daryl won't leave him. And so they finally, they fight off the walkers, and Rick shows up, and he does his little like... Okay, know. let's back up here. Because when the log falls on Aaron, it is not just like... I mean, this is this is a, you know, three feet around tree. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not a small log. This is a the kind of thing that crushes people. And and so Aaron it, no matter what in that moment when that thing when the log fell on him, I was like, "Oh shit." Because Aaron is hurt. This is not a there is no way that log comes up and Aaron's like, "I'm bruised," you know. <laughs> and so and I'm like, "Oh god, are they killing him off?" And That's what I thought too. And so they do this bit where they're trying to get the log off and the walkers are coming in close. And and Daryl has this sort of whirling dervish, gets up there and he, he, he kills a whole bunch of them to, to make a space so they can get the log off Aaron. And again, the fight scenes in this episode where they're, te- where they're fighting the walkers are actually really well done. They're very dramatic. And they get back there and they pull off the log. And this is, Rick isn't there just yet. And they pull off the log and Aaron's arm is crushed. Yeah, that was such a good effect. That was really good. It looked, I mean, you you look at that arm and the first thing I thought was, it's gone. He's lost that arm. There's no way that arm is, is, is saved. Right, and the saved. doctor who was at the camp had to go do something else, so he's gone. And left Enid in charge. Right, and so Eden is sixteen years old, and so that's when Rick, Rick, and everybody else shows up because because the signal didn't go off. They know things are going bad. They've rushed to the scene, and that's when Rick and everybody else just wades in. And Ezekiel shows up, and Carol's like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I heard there was a problem." <laughs> and, exactly. I was. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I was just on set drinking coffee, and I was like, "Oh, I'd like to join this battle." And this is that scene where I, we meant, I mentioned earlier where Rick just goes on like a badass rampage. And it's a really cool sequence. And he tells Daryl to get to get Aaron out of there. And he looks at the situation and he looks at this bundle of logs. And instead of going over and using his machete to cut the rope, and release the logs, he decides to practice his sharpshooting skills, and he shoots and misses, and then shoots again, and breaks the, the rope. They didn't do the cutscene to the to him winging, winging some chick from Oceanside with that straight bullet. <laughs> no. And then these logs start rolling down the hill into the walkers, and it's awesome. <laughs> I mean... Oh, really, really cool. Although I was, I was thinking, well, now they gotta go pick all those logs up and bring them back up the hill. So they roll down the hill and and basically just start crushing walkers. But the, there's actually that you could they're all within like dragging distance of where they were. But still, it's just like you know you just watch these logs roll over the walkers and squish their heads, and then another log rolls out and squishes more heads. It's like okay, that's cool. Yeah, that was really fun. That was a fun moment. So Daryl gets it gets Aaron back to the camp and discovers Enid there, and Enid's eyes are like, 
Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Well, oh, they take when they take off when they take off the wrapping, and the arm just kind of flops out." Oh God! That was cool and gross. Her face just goes white, she goes, and she's like, "Gotta cut it off." And Daryl and Aaron are like, "What?" And he's like, "Yep, gotta cut it off." And so they go to work and Aaron, while Aaron initially is, what do you mean you're going to cut off my arm? As soon as he realizes, he looks at Enid, he looks at Daryl and he's just like, do what you got to do. Aaron is one of those characters on the show who he's always really good in every episode he's in for a character who is not really one of the main characters of this show. He's one of the solid secondary cast members that I actually felt. I mean, I've, I'm sitting there going, my my thought was here's the th- here's the thing that was that was bugging me at that moment, and it, it was he's only going to have one arm to hold the baby. Right. I'm gonna go on my thing. Here's here's what I have to say. Daryl does not leave Aaron's side for the entire thing. He doesn't leave his side until he's sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. And then he goes looking for the dude who, who who didn't send the signal. I ship it. Okay. I am, I am on board with that. I ship Daryl and Aaron. I am now fully back in the Daryl is gay camp. Like, <laughs> as much as I love the, the explanation that Norman Reedus has always given that that, that Daryl is basically asexual and, and he's, you know, that the combination of his his overbearing family life and and his own personal apathy has led him to not really have a sexuality. I now, I now fully and 100% believe that Aaron and Daryl are in love and that uh, they are going to be raising that baby together. And I also now firmly believe that that was Dorman Reedus's condition for taking over the lead spot on the show. He said, okay, I'll do it, but, but Daryl has to become gay. <laughs> <laughs> It's my, new, it's my new belief. It's, it's my new belief system. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if this is remotely even uh, a reality, but uh, nonetheless, I am on board with with Daryl becoming Aaron's partner in some way because there again, I mean, it's story basic story number one hundred and one. Aaron says you won't know what it, you know you you'll be a great dad one day. Then Aaron gets incapacitated, and he no longer has a partner. Who's going to be there to help him? Daryl is. So what Daryl is going to become, we know that because he helped raise Judith as a little ass kicker. He was basically the manny for a long time. So you just know that they're just trying to find a way to put another baby in Daryl's arms. (laughs) It's like the contrast between... Between badass Daryl and a small baby, they're like, yeah. you know, it's it's the whole Ronin thing for for those of you right. who are comic book fans. Uh, yeah, I, no, I I am on board. I I do think that we're more likely to get a platonic relationship out of the two of them that ends up being an emotional one because Daryl is so he is. We we've established that Daryl's emotional damage is significant over the course of the series. So I I would True. be I would be surprised if it became an actual romantic relationship between two, between the two of them. 
but I can see it very easily being a partnership that is everything but a physical relationship. No. Okay. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I I'm not I'm not going to object to it. Fan fiction online right now. Oh, I guarantee you there's already fan fiction online right now. It's the internet. It's where we keep the porn. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so so once Daryl has determined that Aaron is going to be a, a relatively okay, he goes after the guy who should have given the signal. And it, of course, is that jerk guy from earlier in the episode uh, who needed to have all the water. And he's like, well, it's not my fault. The The battery wasn't charged on the walkie-talkie. And Daryl looks at him and goes, it's a solar-powered walkie-talkie. <laughs> and, right. and just lays into the guy. I mean, he is this close to killing him. And Carol drags him off him. It's close. And I, I don't know how I feel. So here's my problem. As someone who is not a violent person, I enjoy violent media. I'm not one of those people who remotely thinks that violent media causes violence in the real world unless you're already inclined to be that. But I found myself at that moment, and I don't know how I feel about this, rooting for Daryl to kill him. And... Because whereas with Maggie, it's a it's a struggle to commit to to get to that point where you feel I have to kill this person to save people. Right. With Daryl, it's this instinctual: this person is a threat to people I care about. He has to go. Yeah. And he cannot come back to hurt somebody that I care about. I kind of wanted him to kill him because he's such an awful character. And he's such a he's such a you know, it's not my fault. He's a bully. He's a he's he's a gigantic bully. And of course a lot of the saviors are essentially big bullies. You know, extremely violent, deadly bullies, but I mean they're that's that's really what the whole model of the savior structure is is, you know, might makes right. The biggest bully gets the most. Right. So I'm, 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 there's that part of me who was just like, I want him to kill him. Oh, I shouldn't want that. Right. But I did, and he didn't. But he got exiled and then probably killed. Yeah, so later, as Rick is moving through the camp, looking at all of this, uh, the, the, what, what has become of, of what this, this day, he runs into this guy. And the guy's like, yeah, you're a bitch. You know, he, he beat, you know, he he beat on me. I'm not happy about it. And it's, you know, I blame you. And Rick's like, you want to run that by me again? <laughs> and this guy's like, well, you know, he flew off the handle and attacked me. And Rick looked at him and said, you're going to go. You've got till morning. And if you are still here or I see you again, you're going to wish what I did to you was as minimal as what Daryl did to you. Because it won't be it won't be a scar that he leaves you. What I'm gonna leave he basically tells him, I'm gonna kill you the next time I see you. Right. And there is no question because he went to see Aaron. 
and he apologized to Aaron for what he had for, for putting him in that position. And Aaron looked at him and said, "You're helping rebuild the world. Right. I am on board with this. You are. I don't feel like the world has ended. I feel like the world is beginning, and you brought us here." And Rick's like, um, thanks? Sorry about your arm? I don't feel any better that you said thank you? And so when he encounters this guy, I mean, Rick Rick goes from zero to, I will kill you the next time I see you. Right. And the guy's like, well, I didn't want to be here anyway. And I'm not going to wait till morning. He storms off. And Rick's like, good riddance. And then this moron takes off in the night. And he's got a bottle of some kind of alcohol. And he is finishing it off. And he's stumbling along. And all I can think is, God, you're a moron. Because a walker's going to come out of the trees and eat you. And I'm going to be like, well, you're an idiot. But he hears a noise. And he looks over. And... Says, he oh. does that murder mystery thing. He's like, oh, it's you. What are you doing out here in the woods? Not back where I saw you last, in that other place. And then he's attacked! And he's, he's, he, he's going to die terribly. Um, that's actually the end of the episode, although we left out an important subplot. Oh, yeah. Because Janus, who is not Janus anymore... She's her real name. And our minister are having a meet cute. Right. Well, a meet M E A T cute. Yeah. So she we, we, we see them in one of the in one of the, the, the various uh, meeting tents and she's sketching and because she's an artist. She was an artist before the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And so she's drawing this this woman and she's making changes and she holds it up. And Gabriel, Father Gabriel, looks at it and says, yes, that, that's her. And she goes, okay, cool. And then later we see them as Gabriel is on watch. And they're kind of flirting a little bit. And, and then later when we see them and Gabriel is on watch, um, they're flirting a lot. And she's like, so who is that woman? And she goes, unless it's like, you know, a uh, part of your past you don't want to talk about. And he goes, oh, my past we can talk about, but your past we can't. And she's like, no, we can talk about my past. We just can't talk about my secrets. He's like, whatever. And she goes, no, who is who was she? Was she like your forbidden love affair? And he goes, she was my church organist. And I really cared about her. And I was afraid to say anything and do anything. And then she died. You know, I lost her. And she's like... I thought priests couldn't do that sort of thing. And he's like, I'm an Episcopalian. I'm not Catholic. She goes, I could, you know, that's, that's not a thing. And she's like, really? He's like, yeah. And she's like, so are you still afraid? And her hand goes whap on his thigh. And he's like, oh, well, um. And he kind of does sort of a stammer thing. And then she like kisses him. And he's like, I'm supposed to be on watch. And let me just sidebar that for a second. Why are you going to put a half-blind man on watch? That makes no sense whatsoever. I know. That was my thought, too. And then she's like, well, then watch. And then she kind of um, uh, goes down on him. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was the that was definitely the implication. So later we see her, presumably in the afterglow, one hopes, up on one of the towers, one of the watchtowers. And she is looking around and she hears a noise and she looks up. And in the distance, she sees another aircraft. So somebody is out there flying around. That's going to be a thing. I mean, we, we, so we saw that somebody had an aircraft last season. Right. And it was hers. It was, she was contacting that helicopter to come get her. Right. A year and a half has gone by, so whatever was going on with the previous contact has not been in contact, I guess. I don't know. But anyway. And then, of course, the episode actually ends with Rick talking, having his conversation with uh, Negan. And, of course, Negan saying, you know, you're preparing the world for me. And it's like, okay, whatever. So that's this week's episode. Yeah. For, for what is expected to be a fairly momentous season... With two main characters essentially stepping away, and we know that we know that Michelle's probably not that far behind. This is a pretty decent start. I mean, for for all, I, I I kind of feel like we're where we were with you and I watching the first two episodes of Fear the Walking Dead last season, where we're kind of liking what we're seeing, even though it's not perfect, and and they've made some mistakes, but it's interesting, and there's something there's something yeah. to it. Um, I feel like at least we're starting off strong. I just hope we don't. I just hope we don't end the way that Fear the Walking Dead ended. Yes. If the show goes off the rails without Rick, they really have been doing things wrong. Because at this point, there is enough of an ensemble. They should be able to do something with it. Oh yeah, there's plenty. I mean, aside from Daryl, he's just the worst choice to be the be the new lead. They've got plenty of people that they can bring up and take over. Ezekiel, Carol, Maggie, uh, Michonne, although, again, I, I'm, I'm positive that she's on her way out. She's about to hit with the Marvel movie. Are, she's already done two Marvel movies. She's going to be a main character in Infinity War 2. All right, folks, thank you for listening. As always, we greatly appreciate it, and thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And we hope that you will find us on iTunes and podcast.com and Twitter and Facebook and all the places you can find the show. We would obviously love you to follow us on those places. We would love you to share the show with your friends. We would love you to make comments and give us ratings on iTunes and podcast.com so that we can help other people can help find the show and share the show and that stuff is great. Uh, we would love for you guys to do that. We would also love you to follow our new sister show. Family Movie Nightmare. Family Movie Nightmare. Where my kid and I are currently covering the creepy pasta sci-fi channel show Channel Zero. And Just, when does the first episode of that come out? The first episode has come out. You can find uh, Family Movie Nightmare on Twitter. Just look up Family Movie Nightmare. And you can find a link to our first episode there. If you are already a subscriber to Zompocalypse Now, you will have seen Family Movie Nightmare show up in your feed because that's where it lives right now. So right now, the Family Movie Nightmare is under the Zompocalypse Now banner on podcast.com and therefore under iTunes as well. Yeah, so the first episode's up and we cover the first season of Channel Zero, which is Candle Cove. We're getting ready to record the second 
episode, which will cover the second season, which is No End House. And then um, Butcher's Block is season three. And then we'll, we'll start off with the new season of Channel Zero, which is The Dream Door. Watched one episode of that show, Tim, and I was like, no, no, I can't do it. This is too disturbing even for me. Too disturbing for me. It's really well done horror, I have to say. Um, I'm currently, I'm two episodes away from finishing the second season. And it's very surreal, and it's not fast-paced, and I really like it. Because it's allowing things to worm their way into your head. And I'm like, okay, this is good. So check that out. We would appreciate you guys listening to that. So again, thank you for listening, guys. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. And we will see you guys next week with more Zompocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is recorded and produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey. All rights reserved.